Let's just jump right into it then. Um, let's talk about the different types of fuel for the body because I feel like mm -hmm. most people know like about glucose or fat burning. So, what are the different types of fuel for the body? Yeah, just high level. Um, you're gonna have fatty acids, glucose, and then ketones. So there are these three separate molecules, and uh, the, the body uses other things for for energy, like lactate. And um, but but the high level, what you're going to be wanting to be looking at, and, and what's important to discuss is is glucose, fatty acids, and ketones. Um, most people these days will only be using fatty acids, so fat uh, from your fatty acids from your adipose tissue, and and glucose. That's that's readily available. Um, our body is very, very good at storing fat. And it's very, very inefficient at storing glucose. Um, glucose molecules love water, um, fat molecules do not. So that's why it's very difficult to hold a lot of glucose through glycogen. Um, so once you, and then I'll get into to why ketones really exist. Um, the brain specifically um, cannot use fat for energy, fatty acids. It can really only use glucose and ketones just from a high level. It can use other things, but um, for argument's sake, it really only wants to use glucose and ketones. So if we're just running on fatty acids and glucose, you're going to be using both at the same time. Um, and your glycogen stores become depleted, sufficiently depleted, specifically your liver glycogen. Um, your body needed a way to, or a mechanism to fuel the brain. So what it, what it has, what our, all of our bodies have is this way to aggressively mobilize fat send those fatty acids to the liver, convert those fatty acids into ketones to be sent across the body, the heart, the muscles, but specifically to the brain. So because of that, ketones have this, these specific qualities um, that make it a, a very interesting fuel source, specifically that uh, because they're really this emergency fuel source, they're very, very efficient to be used as energy um, and they're very clean. So they don't require insulin to be used. Um, they sidestep a lot of the processes that glucose takes to get broken down and use this energy. Um, and they actually are antioxidants. They actually clean up free radicals versus glucose, which actually can create a lot of free radicals um, wherever it's being used. Um, and also intuitively, um, it makes sense why ketones would be not only very efficient because they're this emergency fuel source, but also very effective um, because let's say 50,000 years ago when this would happen quite often where we wouldn't, let's say eat for a couple of days and we would have to use ketones as a primary energy source because we just ran out of glucose through glycogen. Um, we would the, the worst case scenario would be the body would be creating an energy source that was not nearly as effective as glucose because then we wouldn't be able to go procure more food. So the ketones are actually very, very effective at, at allowing you to think better, perform better physically, um, to, to theoretically go find more food. So now with, and now with the introduction of Delta G, specifically a technology like Delta G, we don't have to deplete our liver glycogen to use ketones as energy. In fact, we can use ketones and glucose at the same time. Um, and so we can really enter these metabolic states that were previously impossible, where we can have high levels of blood glucose and high levels of, of ketone bodies in our, in our system. Let's talk a little bit more about that, because I think at least in like my like ultra running, like cycling community, it mm -hmm. kind of seems like 
people get very polarized of like, okay, I'm either I burn sugar or I'm yeah, on keto yeah. and I'm burned fat. But I always felt like, well, there should be like a middle ground there because obviously high intensity, you can be burning glucose. Mm -hmm. Then like zone one, zone two, whatever, you could be burning ketones, correct? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's exactly right. A good way to think about it is that it has like a sliding scale with how much oxygen you're getting. So if you enter in more of an anaerobic state, you're going to get less oxygen. So you need something that's very easy to oxidize. Glucose is very, very easy to oxidize. So it's very easy to use as an energy source quickly. Um, so if you're sprinting, you're going to, your body's going to be using almost exclusively glucose. Um, and then when you're sedentary, it's going to be using almost exclusively fat. And, and again, that makes sense because the body, as I mentioned, isn't good at storing glucose, but it's very good at, at storing fat. So you would think that for the majority of time, you would want to use a, a energy source that we have ample amounts of, uh, which is going to be fat. So zone one, zone two running, you're going to be using a lot of fat. And this is putting the brain aside because the brain's going to be using glucose at all times, unless, unless ketones are there. <clears throat> but the body, if you're, let's say zone one, it's going to be mostly using fat. And then as you go along this scale of, of oxygen, let's say lack of oxygen, just from, from working harder, you're going to shift more towards glucose being your primary energy source for your body. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And it's like this, I, whenever I'm like on a training run, for example, like I try to stay like zone two for the most part, but if there's like a big push or it's a workout, say I'm going to do intervals or do a, a big climb, whether running or riding, it's like, okay, at that point, I'm going to take some glucose, either in the form of a gel or a drink. But then for the most part, if I'm just cruising, it's like, okay, stay in zone two and try to be in fat burning as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think um, a common misconception with endurance athletes is that I heard an endurance athlete, I mean, he was kind of amateur, but um, an amateur athlete, but he was saying that for like his eight mile run, he's like, well, we definitely need a ton of exogenous glucose for that, or like carbohydrates or, or, or gels. And it's like, well, maybe if you're, if you're really pushing, I, I, it would be a performance in, enhancement of, of force. But if you're just doing a zone two, zone one type of eight mile run, it's a complete misconception that you're going to need a ton of glucose for that. If you, the more you increase glucose, the more glycolysis, glycolysis which is like the burning of glucose is going to increase. Um, but that's not necessarily going to help you perform better because you're going to be using a ton of, a ton of fat. So you'd, you'd want to be more fat adaptive than, than just taking in an exogenous glucose. Yeah. Thinking of that then, cause I, I know a lot of runners like, oh, I can't even go on like a five mile run without a gel or some yeah. sort of like pre-run and. And in my head, I'm like, well, that doesn't really make any sense because it's like, it's only five miles. It's going to take maybe 40 minutes or something. Or if you're mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it's a slower trail, like an hour or something. But like, like what would be the benefit then of doing that run off of fat burning versus like consuming a gel or two during that short little run? I think it's, it's probably better. Um, and when we have this conversation a lot with, with athletes that we work with, where it'd probably be better um, to be doing those fasted because you want your body, you, you really need to train your body to be able to mobilize fat effectively for something like an endurance event. So um, like there, there are people like Zach Bitter and, and, and Dan Plews and, and they focus a lot on that, on, on fat adaptation. Um, and I think it's really important. So you'd wanna theoretically train a lot faster as much as you can without having any kind of detriment to your performance. Like if you're going on like a 30 mile run you probably want some glucose there because you only have, let's say 2000 
calories of glycogen available. So you don't want to necessarily deplete your glycogen while you're running, because then you'll you're most likely bonk, your, your blood glucose will go too low, unless you're very, very ketogenic. So you unless you're really, really good at producing ketones, um, which which most people aren't. Um, really, what you'd want as an endurance athlete is to be very, very fat adaptive. And this is for race day, be very fat adaptive from from training fasted, to have exogenous glucose and exogenous ketones at the ready. So you're giving your body these three tools to have help it perform better. And, and a good way to think about, let's say the body in general is, is, is a very good allocator of capital or very efficient, efficient allocator of capital. You want to give it fat in an efficient way, glucose and ketones, and then it's going to allocate those resources to where they're needed most. Yeah, that makes sense. And so thinking of that then, like, obviously, well, I think most, not obviously, I shouldn't say that. I think most people realize that by going on like a ketogenic diet or a low carb diet or, mm -hmm. and or fasting, you're able to produce ketones like naturally in your body. Right. Mm -hmm. So then what would be the benefit? Like say you're, you're fat adapted or you're not fat adapted of taking mm -hmm. an exogenous ketone. Because if, even if you are fat adaptive, that just means that you're very good at mobilizing fat for energy in the body. Um, that's not necessarily giving you ketones. So like I said, it's, it, it, it'd be really good to have fat available, which you will have exogenous glucose and just glycogen and ketones available. So you really want all three available at the same time. And you can accomplish that with safely, let's say with, with something like, like Delta G. Um, I think for ketogenic athletes and, and ketogenic runners, it's great for, for some of them. I think um, it's relatively rare to see a ketogenic endurance athlete that is that is that is able to do it really really consistently um i just as a company we're not like huge fans of the ketogenic diet i think there are certain applications that that it can be very beneficial especially from a therapeutic perspective like um adolescent epilepsy or things things like that and it, it I, I think it can be viewed more as like an emergency diet to get your metabolism um, let's say in order, but, um, I think these ketogenic athletes, if you're able to, to be very, very efficient at producing your own ketones and, and you're very fat adapted, that's great. But I think there may be issues now. And this is of course debated within the research community. I think there are people like Jeff Volick, um, who would argue that it's not going to be a detriment to performance. Um, but once you kind of play with that anaerobic threshold, um, you're probably going to want ample, a lot of glucose there. So um, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky diet to, to use for, for in, let's say athletic performance, because there are times when you're going to want a lot of glucose or high blood glucose in order to perform very well. And, it, and maybe some people can do that, but again, it's just risk reward. I just, I just don't know if it's, if it's quite there. And that's just, let's say our opinion. Um, I know there is some data to suggest otherwise, but um, intuitively it makes sense that you would want some, some glucose there, especially more than let's say 50 grams a day, especially for recovery too. Um, restoring glycogen of course is very important. So um, I think it's just the, the risk reward. I just don't, I just don't quite see it for most people. Yeah, definitely. No, that makes sense. So like when, when I've been doing research and like talking to people about like exogenous ketones, 
it seems like there there are different types and i don't mm-hmm. really know how to phrase this question to be honest because mm-hmm. i'm not an expert by any means but reading research yeah. papers it's like there's like bhb and esters and alcohols and i think a lot of that's really confusing to a lot of people because if you just go on amazon or something look at ketones it's like oh well there's there's salts yeah. and there's these there's that and there's that and it's like okay what's the difference and it, there's not a really clear explanation so are you able to talk about that a little bit yeah of course i think um number one um, just important for people to understand <clears throat> when you're in uh, what's called ketogenesis, um, and this is maybe important, I, I think, from, for everyone to understand, uh, because ketosis often gets confused just because of the, the ketogenic diet. Um, ketosis, by definition, is having enough ketones in your bloodstream to use as a primary energy source, while ketogenesis is the production of your own ketone bodies. So, a lot of people will come to us and say, oh, you, you guarantee very deep states of ketosis. That's fantastic. I want to lose some weight by shedding fat. We have to always say, well, well, that's not, it's actually the other, the other way. So we're just giving you the end product. Exogenous ketones are just giving you this end product of ketones without the need to mobilize fat and convert into ketones. While ketogenesis, as I mentioned, is, is the mobilization of fat to convert into ketones. So those terms used to be permanently connected, whereas you would need ketogenesis to achieve ketosis. While now with something like Delta G, you don't need ketogenesis to achieve ketosis. So that's just something I I thought it'd be important mentioning. Um, But as far as exogenous ketones go, the goal of an exogenous ketone should be to safely increase blood ketone levels, or let's say ketosis levels, to levels that have, that have been shown in research to be beneficial for whatever you're looking for. Um, there are, I would say, <clears throat> it's a few different categories. I'll talk about just the high level ones, the ones you'll see most often. Um, I'll start like at the bottom of the, the ladder of, of impact to blood ketone levels. So you have MCT oil, which is just medium chain triglycerides. It's just a type of fat that is very, very easy for your body to mobilize and convert into ketones. Problem with that is it, it is a fat and you are relying on the body to convert it into ketones. It's not going to do that a lot. And the amount of MCT oil you would have to take to increase your blood ketones to decent levels would be very, very hard on your stomach just with the amount of fat you'd have to take in. Um, and then next up the ladder, you have something called R13-butanediol. R13-butanediol is a alcoholic ketogenic precursor. So again, it's not a ketone. It's actually being converted into ketones in the liver. Um, again, not very effective at doing that. If you're taking 1,3-butanediol, you're going to get pretty low levels of, of ketosis. Um, and again, there's not... I've only seen one study on, on using R13-butanediol as an as a exogenous ketone for anything. Um, and then next up the ladder is ketone salts. That's what you'll see at like GNC or on Amazon mostly. <clears throat> um, beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is the ketone body that you're going to be using as energy. It's, it's really probably the most important ketone body. Um, that is an acid. So it's very, very difficult to take beta-hydroxybutyrate on its own. 
So you need to, you usually need to bind it to something. If you took it on its own, it would, you would have all these negative side effects like your stomach lining or the enamel on your teeth. Um, so you'd have all these, all these negative side effects. So you need some kind of delivery mechanism to take in BHB in, in, into your body. A very, very cheap way of doing that is by binding BHB to a salt, whether it be sodium, magnesium, calcium, or potassium. The issue with ketone salts is at best, usually um, one gram of beta hydroxybutyrate. So one gram of the ketone, which is not very much, um, is probably going to come with one gram or be binded to one gram of or bound to one gram of of the salt. So in order to achieve certain ketone levels, higher ketone levels, um, you would probably have to take seven to 10 grams at minimum of BHB. That would mean you're taking between 7,000 and 10,000 milligrams of the salt. Again, super inefficient way of doing it. They make them taste very good. It's really easy to make taste good and they're very cheap. But again, it's just not doing what it's meant to do, which is increase your blood ketones safely to these levels. Um, and then lastly, from high level is, let's just say, I'll, I'll talk about Delta G. It's a ketone monoester. As you remember, I, I talked about BHB, the ketone. What a ketone ester is, is it's BHB, usually, in, in, in our case it is, it's BHB bound to R13-butane dial, that thing I mentioned earlier, that molecule I mentioned earlier. But instead of just taking in R13-butane diol and hoping it converts into some ketones, we use it as a delivery mechanism to safely increase the amount of BHB you're taking in at one time safely. So with Delta G, you can take in 15 grams of beta-hydroxybutyrate at one time, and this can be 15 grams of, of R13-butane diol on the other side, and that's totally safe and wouldn't come with negative side effects. And you can increase your blood ketones really safely. And you'll get a little bit of ketones also from the R13-butane diol. So that's kind of the ladder of exogenous ketones. I know I threw some terms in there, um, but I, I'm hoping I explained it in, in a simple enough way. Yeah, definitely. And that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think like when I first started experimenting with like one ketosis and then also um, just ketone supplements in general, I was like, oh, I'll just buy these salts because like, like 30 bucks, you get like 30 to 60 servings off Amazon. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, you are right, though. It's like if you were to take 10 grams of salt at one time, like essentially with 10 grams of ketones, like that's an insane amount of sodium just in, or whatever type of salt hitting your body like immediately. That's a lot. I know. And, and, and I don't buy the um, some people say that um, for people on the ketogenic diet, it's actually great ketone salts because you're getting ketones and you're getting electrolytes because you, you tend to discharge more electrolytes through urine when you're on the ketogenic diet. But then my argument would be, well, Number one, you're not even getting that many ketones. And when you, and if the goal is to, to increase blood ketone levels, or let's say stabilize blood ketone levels and have electrolytes, it'd be, it'd be way smarter to probably just take something like Delta G and then take a, an electrolyte that's intended to be an electrolyte. You know, um, it just, I think people try to say that, oh, it accomplishes two things at once. So you're getting kind of a two for one. But I would argue that it actually does zero of those things. It's just a very inefficient way of accomplishing both. And it makes a sense or makes a lot of sense. Um, so thinking of that then, like, so the other day um, we went for like a longer um, 
bike ride slash run within Zion National Park. We just like basically rode to all the trails and it was a super fun, like really, really easy long day. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, I don't even know, I don't really even know how many miles or um whatever we did, but it was just like fun to go out and just be like really easy pace, like as a recovery day, basically. Yeah. But I I took exogenous ketones and then also Vespa. I don't know if you've heard of Vespa before. I have, yeah. Yeah. So I was just taking that because I wanted to like see how my body would feel and like after like six hours or something, I started feeling hungry, but I wasn't really, um, I didn't really feel tired necessarily, but I was hungry, mm-hmm. but like, I, I was realizing that I was peeing a lot. Like, is that partly because of consuming and burning ketones or, or do you have any ideas about that? I don't think so. I mean, it depends what, um, product you were taking, but, um, it's, it's an interesting, it's really interesting with, with Delta G specifically. I can just speak on that. Um, and I, I'd like to talk about Vespa as well because that's a it's a really interesting product and and um a lot of the the bigger ultra guys who i speak with um have been using it and experimenting with it but um with and this is this is more of an aside but with delta g um it appears as though you do use the ketones delivered by delta g um, more so than you would use endogenous ketones And, and the reason we think this is because let's say you start a ketogenic diet um you're going to be discharging a decent amount of ketones in your urine. That's why they, there exists uh, urine strips for, for, to check your ketosis levels. Um, I would, it, it's a very inefficient way of doing it. It's very inaccurate. Um, but your body is going to discharge some ketones. So if you were starting a ketogenic diet and, and it took you a month and you're at one and a half or two millimolar, um, which is like a, a pretty much the equilibrium that most ketogenic eaters will, will end up at, um, you'll see that on a urine strip. You'll see how much, um, I mean, how, how deep of a ketosis you're in. But with Delta G, you can, you'll go up to three millimolar, um, and you'll and you'll use a urine strip, and it'll show you at zero. So it seems as though that your body, with exogenous ketones, and, and I, I can just speak on Delta G, it seems to be using a lot more of the ketones than you would use with endogenous production. Um, now, I, I don't think this has been necessarily studied yet, but you mentioned urine and, and if it has to do with, with ketones, I don't think it, it would increase. Now, again, it depends what product you were taking, but I don't think it would, it would increase um, your likelihood of, of having to pee often. But um, especially if you were using Delta G, then I don't, I don't think that would be the case at all. Yeah, maybe it was just, um, maybe I was just noticing it because I wasn't thinking about eating food the entire time or something. I yeah, don't know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a really um, nice. Day I know. I'd, I'd love to. I know. I'd love to quickly talk about Vespa. Um, I know it, it. It's supposed to increase your fat oxidation um, or or your ability to to use fat. Um, I've actually used it once now. Um, I thought I thought I, I liked it. I mean, I do a lot of fasted training, so I I, I tried it before that and it seemed to seemed to work pretty well. But have you had have you had pretty good experiences with it? Yeah, I definitely have. And like just yeah. like for the record, I got I get it for free a lot, so I'm not paying full price for it. Like just disclosure there. But mm-hmm. I generally use it before like long runs and workouts and or racing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's really helped obviously with like a proper diet and everything with recovery and just being able to like burn fat efficiently. And um mm-hmm. Peter Defty from Vespa has a lot of data like backing that up with certain people. Like Jeff Browning, for example, has like an insanely high fat burn rate. Peter Mortimer, another guy from Flagstaff, Arizona, uses it as well with a pretty high fat burn rate. And it's pretty crazy because like Peter, for example, um, Peter Mortimer, 
um, we'll go out and run like a 50 miler on just like a few gels and he'll just basically do like a Vespa an hour. And then the next hour he'll do a gel while, while hydrating, obviously, and taking electrolytes yeah. and, and his recovery is pretty insane. And he's able to do a lot of stuff and a lot of volume and then recover from that versus consuming a lot of carbohydrates and then dealing with the, the implications of that. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. No, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of, um, and I feel like I'm putting my foot in my mouth a bit with um, our ketogenic diet uh, discussion, but uh, Andrew Kutnick, um, who was at IHMC a little while, um, he's a, he's a researcher. Um, he's done a lot of, a lot of ketone work. He um, released a Twitter thread and it was a study that, that he performed um, relatively recently where he was able to show that even athletes on um, a low carbohydrate diet, um, their fat oxidation rates went like through the roof over time to where it actually replaced a lot of their glucose needs as far as like performance goes. So because even though they didn't have that, that easy to oxidize fuel source of glucose and their, their glycolysis rates were, were very low, so the use of glucose, it appears that because their fat oxidation went so high and they were so efficient at burning fat that it was a, able to, to replace and there was no, there was able to replace glucose and there was no, there was no downside to, uh, on performance. So, um, that's why I mentioned there, there is some conflicting, conflicting research to, to my point, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think being able to, like we've talked about, increase that fat oxidation, um, and really be good at that is, is seems to be more and more important um, or, or more and more on, on people's radars in the, in the endurance space, even though you have certain Ironman athletes, especially um, taking more and more glucose within an hour than like ever before. I mean, we have, I think there are some professionals who take like, I think 150, 200 grams an hour. Um, and they're, they've done pretty successful with that. So it seems like there's this like divide going on right now. Um, between between taking in a lot of exogenous glucose and being very fat adaptive. No, yeah, you're totally right. And it was interesting we, when uh, I spoke with Zach Bitter about it, about just uh, his diet in general. Mm -hmm. He was mentioning that there are some studies showing that like if you're able to up your carbohydrate intake per hour to a pretty high level, it can lower your rate of perceived exertion potentially and maybe even mm -hmm. maximize recovery. But then it's like very few people can do that efficiently because then you have like a, a carbohydrate bomb in your stomach and yeah exactly exactly yeah and like for um, me personally like one of the reasons why i got into nutrition and like eating more of like a, a lower carb diet in general and like experimenting the ketones is because i used to always have issues on my runs where everyone's like you got to have like 90 grams an hour of carbs so i'm trying that and it's like oh man my stomach just hurts so bad and i couldn't even run barely it's just really miserable once i was able to like lower my carb intake but also up my output just have better runs generally for the most part. Like obviously I still have bad days like everybody does, but like mm -hmm. the number of better days has gone up quite a bit and racing has gone up quite a bit as well. Yeah. And, and that's actually an area that I, I talk with a lot of people about. Um, most people have that, that limit of how much carbohydrates they'd want to take in an hour, um, mostly because of GI distress. So let's say you have a 70 gram limit of carbohydrates. You can take 70 grams of carbohydrate and, and take 20 grams of, of Delta G, let's say, and use all that aggregate energy. So it's like really just more aggregate energy you're giving your body um, versus just, just settling with 70 grams of carbs. Exactly. Yeah. And what's interesting, like just this last week, I was out at, I don't know if you've heard of this race. It's called the Cocodona 250. It's a. I have. No, I have heard of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, it goes just for people listening, it goes from Black Canyon City in Arizona up to Flagstaff. 
And so it's 250 miles and um, Mike McKnight, another guy, I, I we co-host a show together. Um, he did that and he won and he drank ton, ton like raw milk and real food the entire time. It was really interesting. <laughs> um, but he used to have major issues as well, like with his like his gut issues and whatever, and like dealing with the heat and everything. And then same thing with Jeff Brown and he ran the, it's called the Sedona Canyons 125. So it's that same race, but just half of it. And so it's the <laughs> same route. And he was taking exogenous ketones and um, eating different things along the way. But like, the fact that you're able to like avoid gastric distress for the most part by like consuming carbohydrates versus a ton of uh, or consuming ketones, sorry, versus uh, carbohydrates is really fascinating. And like how that can actually affect your race because if you're constantly thinking about your stomach and taking food for multiple days while running, like that can really it just becomes an issue for a lot of people. And it's kind of like a joke in the endurance world. It's like oh yeah, you just kind of you're always talking about poop, or you're always talking about GI distress. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, yeah. but it's also easily avoidable for the most part. Yeah, for sure. And 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 that's why I mentioned that that misconception earlier where people think that they just need way more carbohydrates than they probably do. Um, and also an, another interesting thing to mention uh, as far as Delta G and carbohydrates goes, um, there does seem to be this, this blood glucose stabilization that you're getting with, with the combination as well. Because if, if you're going to be taking all these carbohydrates at one time, you're going to have that spike in blood glucose and that, that subsequent drop. So it, that's when I think endurance, endurance athletes get into this, this not great cycle where they have that spike and then the drop, and then they have to spike it up again and then it drops. And, and it's just a, it's just not a, a great way to do a race. But if you have, if you can take in, let's say 70 grams of carbohydrates and then limit that spike, therefore you're limiting that drop and you'll, therefore have probably more consistent energy. And that's kind of anecdotally what we hear from a lot of athletes is they have more stable energy when they're using Delta G in conjunction with their carbohydrates, then that would probably be, be ideal. Um, and we have, a, we have a few studies showing that Delta G does help to stabilize glucose. So um, not only are you getting that more aggregate energy, but it's, it, it appears to be more consistent, stable energy on the glucose side as well. That makes a lot of sense. And something that we talk about a lot in endurance sports is just especially with like longer races like the race normally doesn't start until like you're halfway through essentially so it's kind of like managing your energy levels mm -hmm. and then kicking it towards the end but like when i was talking with mike just barely about um, his coconut 250 win like he had a really bad start because he's a bunch of things happened so long story it's really interesting actually but we're just talking about like the mental drain too like if you say you got to do something and you're just burning energy in your brain and doing these like highs and lows all the time like that's really exhausting for you and when you oh, put effort yeah. into a physical effort like you need to can serve as much as you can while being focused. If you're not having these highs and lows all the time, I imagine that's saving energy in the long term. Without a doubt. Yeah. And 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 um I would say that's probably the most consistent theme we get or, or consistent feedback we get from athletes is if they have something that's that's very grueling from a, a workout perspective or an event perspective, it appears as though Delta G helps them, let's say, keep the demons at bay a lot more you know, where, where they, they are able to, to keep their focus a lot more, um, throughout the race, which, which again, when you're, when you're inching up towards anything past marathon level, that becomes eminently important, um, being able to stay focused and, and not to have, um, let's say your thoughts, uh, running away from you. Um, and I was actually speaking with Zach Bitter as well about this. And he, he felt the same thing with Delta G where, um, he just mentally, he's a lot more with it at times when he wouldn't normally be. Yeah, definitely. 
and like, Zach does definitely use like some sort of like carbohydrates during runs, but it's like it's very mm -hmm. like calculated. It's not just like I'm gonna eat a bunch of crackers at the start and just yeah. run all day yeah. on it or something. It's calculated. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so thinking about like the brain then and the focus on that, like, um, could you kind of describe like how ketones can affect your brain focus? I know we kind of did already, but then also um, mm -hmm. explain BDNF at BDNF. Sorry, I yeah. can't say that very well. It's hard to say. Yeah, no, it's true. So it appears as though, put simply, ketones provide more ATP or more energy to your neurons. Um, so they're just a more effective, as I mentioned, energy source for the brain. Um, there, there are uh, numerous reasons for that, but um, it's just important to remember that. And, and, and it appears as though the brain will actually prioritize ketones over glucose, even when both are present. So the brain does want ketones. Um, and, and I think it's just because they're very, very clean. And, and like I said, they can, they can help the neurons perform better. And they actually help to stabilize um, this, this network stability that you need um, in, in the brain. Um, and then BDNF, that's really just neuronal growth. Um, and then what you'll see, and we actually have a, a research group in Canada looking at this, but after you do a really hard workout, um, BDNF seems to increase uh, or be upregulated. So, so you, you tend to see neuronal growth, so growth of neurons um, after you're working out. So um, that's why it, it appears, and I think, I think this is pretty well understood in the research community, that, that research really helps with, with um, cognition in, in your brain and brain health. Um, and that's why they've started to call, um, at least some researchers have started to call Delta G exercise in a bottle because of what impact it can have on BDNF. And there is actually, like I mentioned, a research group in Canada attempting to replicate the upregulation of, of BDNF from exercise with, with just being sedentary and taking Delta G. So, um, I think that's very exciting. And I would argue that the research on, on um, exercise performance, I would say is, is probably the most debated in this, in this community um, or in the research community. And then I would say the recovery side is less debated. Um, of course, there are some who would, who would debate it, but it, it seems that the research is, is getting more and more clear on the benefits of ketones and recovery. But I would argue that as far as the brain goes and, and brain energy and brain health, that's the least disputed research field with ketones. I think it's, it's quite, quite clear that using ketones as an energy source, at least for some proportion of your life, for your brain can be, can be extremely beneficial. Yeah, it's interesting. So thinking about that thing, because from what I'm understanding is like, from current data we have, it's showing that it's both a physical like improvement, but also cognitive improvement. So is that mm -hmm. why the military has been interested in um, handing, not handing out grants, but giving grants um, for more research on this? Or can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's worth um, mentioning that the history of Delta G, because it wasn't originally a military project. Um, our CEO, Professor Kieran Clark, she's been a professor of physiological biochemistry at Oxford for around, around 30 years. So when it comes to metabolism, um, pretty hard to find somebody that, that knows more about it, especially on the, on the ketone side. Um, but her and, and the late Dr. Richard Veach, who was at the NIH, they studied ketones together uh, throughout the 90s. And then in the early 2000s, uh, DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, 
basically the, the venture capital arm of the Department of Defense. So they invest in all emerging technologies that can help the United States from a defense perspective, whether it be, I think they invested early in the internet, drones, GPS, things like that. Um, they had a program called Metabolic Dominance. Uh, it's actually on the back of our, of our t-shirts, um, just because it's such a cool name. Um, and this program was looking for a fuel source for soldiers on the battlefield, um, or let's say a supplement or fuel source for soldiers on the battlefield who were there for extended periods of time because they were losing a lot of cognitive acuity and, and physical capabilities. So uh, Professor Clark and Veach presented their research on, on ketones to this program, and then they were granted $10 million to uh, create what is now Delta G. So it took them around two years. Um, and then because of that, the military has always kind of had an eye on, on Delta G and has understood it well. And um, there's always been kind of these, these handshake relationships between us and the military. Um, and recently it's gotten pretty exciting. Um, I can't speak about all of it, but um, in, and I think this is important for history as well. Uh, there was a company HVMN um, in 2018, they became the exclusive licensee of Delta G. So I, I think it was just in the US, maybe it, could, it may have been global. Um, it was before my time at Delta G, but they were selling Delta G um, under the HVMN name. So the, the first product they released was the, the ketone ester, and then it said on the bottle, powered by Delta G. Um, and then they were awarded a $6 million uh, Special Operations Command uh, research grant to study Delta G at altitude. Um, and I think that the results should be coming out pretty shortly. Um, but then it, to continue the history, um, the, the license or the relationship is no longer, of course, and the license was was pulled and now they're selling their own product and and we're selling Delta G just under our own brand name, which didn't exist at the time. Um, but yeah, that, that there's a huge research grant. We are applying for a few more. Um, we have a very close connections now with with various branches. I can't speak quite yet about the the agreement. Um, but yeah, I think it's just because of the history and the way that it, it, it just from a high level, it, it appears to be just like a perfect military fuel source where not only can it help you physically perform better, but also cognitively, it can, it can really help you keep um, acuity at, at stressful times, you know? So um, I think that's what's most attractive to the military about, about the Delta G technology. Yeah, definitely. And it seems like if you're able to, like I've, uh, I've read, it's like a ketones can suppress appetite, for example. So if you're able to carry less weight with you on a mission hmm, or something, yeah and perform cognitively better and physically better it's like that's just a win-win because you're able to reach the destination with less stress and able to perform versus being worried about eating or having a, a blood crash or a blood sugar crash or something yeah no exactly and it's, it's crazy how much how much this this technology can can pack a punch for instance our tactical product which is the most delta g we sell in a bottle is a one ounce bottle you know so it's it's very small and it's a little plastic bottle and if you for most people, I'll just use myself as an example. It's going to be a little bit weight dependent, but I'm 185 pounds. If I'm fasted and I take a full bottle of tactical, I'll probably get up to three and a half millimolar, which is 
a level that you would probably see after like three days of, of a water fast in like 15 minutes. So, so you can get very, very deep levels. And it just goes back to your point about if you can just carry a few of those on you and take it right before any kind of, um, let's say precarious situation, um, that can, that can cover a lot of what you would need just that little tiny bottle. Definitely. So it's like a, almost like a way just to like skip the fast, fast track it and get the benefits of fasting without fasting or spending the three days of not eating. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I think the fasting is, is another really interesting field because I think it's, it's pretty much um, consensus um, in the research field that, that caloric restriction or fasting will extend life um, for, for various reasons. Um, but we're learning a lot more now about why it may be. And um, with ketones, there's, there's really two two purposes, let's say, of ketones that, that we're learning. Number one is just from an, an androgenics perspective, like we've been talking about, providing energy to the body, but also as a signaling mechanism. So the presence of high blood ketones signals certain things within your body. And we're learning that, that high levels of blood ketones can actually trigger, or let's say, switch on a lot of these longevity pathways that you would get from fasting. So we know that fasting extends life. Um, and it may be because when you're fasting for extended periods of time, you have increased blood ketone levels, which are switching on a lot of these longevity pathways that maybe most likely I think can be achieved without fasting. So it is really like fasting in a bottle, like you said. That's pretty fascinating. I think it's been weird, like, I guess recently, like, because I think in the carnivore keto community for a long time, people are all about fasting. It's like, oh, fasting is so important. Do it like however often, whatever. And like, even in a lot of religions, they, they promote fasting as like a, a way to have like mental clarity and like yeah. become closer to God or whatever. But it's interesting that you could almost have those same benefits in a bottle and it's without having to, to do the fast, which a lot of people just don't want to do. I think we're just so like just so habitually used to eating three times a day at minimum. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's so habitual. Um, have you, have you done any kind of extended fasting? I've never gone over 24 hours before. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel good and I do it though. And like, honestly, a lot of times when say I'm, I get sick for whatever reason, whether it's like just a cold or like a stomach issue, I just fast and like, I feel really good. Sometimes I'll do like a sparkling water with apple cider vinegar and it kind of helps like kind of reset things. Mm -hmm. And I know there's like obviously different benefits of fasting, but then when I do that, I'm like, man, I just feel good. Like, I, I yeah, don't really no, for feel sure. hungry and like my brain's functioning. I'm like, oh man, like, do I really want to eat right now? Like, <laughs> I just want to like keep doing this. Yeah, no, if, if I have anything that's like mentally grueling, um, I always try to do it in the mornings and I try to, of course, not eat beforehand. And I try to eat like very early the night before so that I, I am in this kind of fasted state and I, I'm the same way. I do operate just way more effectively with, with, without eating. Um, and it's, it could it be the ketones. I don't know. I mean, I, I think some of it has to do with that, but, um, I think it may be also just this, this more stable or lower blood glucose, I think maybe has something to do with it as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting, like I do film production for work for the most part and like just watching people like oh, I have to eat all day, every day is it's kind of like a burden, honestly, sometimes on film sets. Cause it's like, okay, we gotta go get snacks and people are just eating like sugar and crap all the time. Yeah. And it's like, man, if we were all just like, like high performing off of either a fast or like some sort of like higher fat diets, like things could be a lot more productive and people would do a lot better instead of having all these sugar crashes all the time. 
Yeah, for sure. And, and um, we have some people doing this just like N of one studies for us, but um, within the fasting community, some have been taking Delta G during their fast, because if you're taking the pure form of Delta G, like that tactical product I mentioned, um, there's no sugar, no additives, no flavorings, nothing like that. Um, it is caloric. So that's why it's good to think of, of ketones or let's say Delta G as like this fourth macronutrient because th there is calories in it. But I think maybe it just comes down to the school of thought. Like if there are some people who believe that as long as your insulin doesn't react, then it's probably not breaking a fast. Um, but some people are, are way more strict about it and say, well, it's really just calories. But we do have some people doing extended fasting using our ketones to kind of see if it, if it really, really helps them fast for longer because you are just kind of pushing forward that, that whole process of producing ketones, whereas you're going to have all this energy without breaking a fast so that you can hopefully extend it for longer. Yeah. So I guess if I'm understanding properly, then like mm -hmm. there could be different reasons for a fast. One could just be like, say you have a, you have a gut issue, so a gut reset, but then the other mm -hmm. reason could be for cognitive performance. Mm -hmm. And so if you're consuming a, like a ketone, like an exogenous ketone with some calories, like maybe in like the, the gut reset aspect, it may affect your gut, but then like for whatever cognitive benefits or something like taking some of the few calories is probably not going to affect you too much. Right. Exactly. No, that, that's, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Cause a lot of people like, I know what you're saying are like, Oh, like coffee has like one or two calories or whatever in it. It's like, it's probably not going to affect your fast. Like the, yeah, the benefit of drinking yeah, caffeine yeah. versus the calorie. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess speaking of caffeine, then like, I don't yeah. know what you know about this, but like, is there any benefit to like combining the two? Like I've seen people like mix ketones into their like, coffee and stuff for like caffeine plus um, the ketone benefit. Like, do you know? For much sure. About that? No. Yeah, no, no, we, we do. Um, we can't really explain it, <laughs> but we, um, it actually started with, um, and, and we launched a product on the back of this and we're about to launch a few more, but um, there was a special operator who we were very close with who would just put Delta G, um, just raw Delta G in his coffee on, on, on missions and before missions. And he was, we were like, all right, maybe he's just being kind of just brute forcing it and he doesn't really care about taste or anything like that, um, which I would expect. But he was like, no, I just, I think it, I feel a lot better with the caffeine and with the ketones. I seem to, I seem to use both better. Um, so then we started testing it. We still have some R&D in Oxford just through our, our, our CEO and we, and we did our own internal testing. And it appears as though um, from the caffeine side, we can't really explain just, but the way to think about it potentially is that caffeine being a stimulant, it's using up energy while at the same time you're providing this really clean form of energy. So that's maybe why you're using, you feel better with the caffeine. But um, when you combine the two, you don't need as much Delta G to achieve certain ketone levels, blood ketone levels. So the caffeine like accelerates the spike that you would get from, from Delta G. So um, they're, they actually work, work very well together. Um, and we actually, like, like I mentioned, we launched a coffee additive product specifically for that reason, because they seem to work really, really well together. Interesting. So have you mixed a, a ketone into, um, or a ketone drink into your coffee before? And like, how did that taste? Um, luckily coffee is a really good master of taste. Um, but if you go past like a teaspoon of the raw Delta G, it's going to probably ruin your coffee. Um, you're more, I mean, a teaspoon is great because you can't taste it, but
but you're in a teaspoon is like just five grams and you're still going to get probably a pretty moderate state of ketosis. Um, and it's definitely more cost effective doing it that way. But, um, I would, if, if you're going more than a teaspoon, I would just probably just take it straight and then chase it with your coffee and then, and then enjoy your coffee. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Cause like, I definitely enjoy both of those things, but I would only if I'd want to like mess up a nice cup of coffee with, uh, I think everyone knows that these exogenous ketones don't exactly taste good <laughs> yeah no I, I and i think i think it would it would work best um which which i do a lot but um it works best with like espresso so that you're not like it's not like a 12 ounce cup of coffee that you're ruining really and and espresso of course it's a lot stronger so it's a lot it masks the taste a lot better so um i put it in my espresso i don't even taste it i put 10 grams in and i'll just take it in, in like three sips and um it's not too bad at all well, i'm gonna have to try that because i've always just done them separate I've never mixed it in together. Yeah. I mean, if you, if, if you're, if you're willing to just drink it and then chase it, you're probably just better off doing that to be honest. <laughs> Maybe I'll try it's that just, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just, and, and it's gotten fun to watch because of the taste and, and we don't, we don't shy away from it. I mean, it tastes, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, but luckily right now we are, we taste is actually just from a, a company perspective is something that can be solved quite easily. And, and we're, we're getting there and because it's not a ton of liquid that you need you can you can dilute it and you can actually do some really interesting things with it and we're doing that right now so i think we're going to solve that problem relatively shortly but it's been pretty wild to see how many people are willing to just buy the raw product and just take it straight like in the middle of a marathon or an ultra marathon it's been pretty cool to be honest and and i think it's just a function of i think it's it's validating for the product because it's really expensive and people and it doesn't taste great and people are still willing to buy a lot of it and use a lot of it um but also i think it just speaks to the endurance athlete community as a whole where they are probably used to tasting things that aren't fantastic you know and and as long as it works i think they're just kind of like screw it I'll, I'll take it and it's become kind of this funny challenge for for a lot of people and people send us videos all the time of like uh, there's this like group of of iron man amateur athletes that um, before any race, they all like get in the circle and like take a, take down a bottle of tactical and like nobody makes a phase and they all try to be tough guys about it, which is, which is really fun to watch. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But yeah. I think that like within the endurance world, we, everybody eats so much like nasty crap, like, like gels. that just tastes like, like literally like garbage. It's like, Oh, like, like a ketone ester, like me, like it's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I would say like half the people I talk to you about it, um, I'll say, but uh, I'll, I'll give a preface. I'll be like, well, tactile doesn't taste great. And like half of them are like, I don't care. Yeah. I, I don't care how it tastes. Yeah. So <laughs> and maybe it comes down to like that suffering mentality of like, well, I'm going to suffer. It's like, what's another, like a small, like quote unquote suffering, just like, shoot. Yeah. This like, it's not that bad really. Like, yeah. And I, and I think, I think people, which I think is fair. And I kind of have this intuition as well, where if something tastes really, really, really good, it's like, how good can this possibly be? You know, whereas, whereas like if something tastes pretty bad, I'm like, all right, well, this must really be helping if it's, if it's tasting this bad, you know, <laughs> I like that. It's true. Like if it tastes good, yeah. it's like, oh, it's candy or whatever. It's like not good for me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's like broccoli. It's like, all right, well, well, this is probably good for me. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's thinking of like, like triathletes and then also just like the, the coffee, um, and ketone protocol let's talk a little bit about that like say you're gonna run or do a full ironman like i'm actually in southern utah right now and uh the saint george half ironman um was here this weekend oh nice yeah yeah, yeah. 
So that was pretty cool to see. So and like, it was what, it was Genie, it was Genie and uh, Sam Long, I think. Right. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, okay. Yeah. I th- I think those are the two winners, but it could be wrong. Yeah. It was it was cool to see. So like, I also kind of forgot. Like I used to live here in town, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that's like that big event is happening this weekend. I'm um, like, and honestly, how scenic the course is is really beautiful. But like, what would be some sort of like protocol, like just like generically, I guess, for say mm-hmm. like a half Ironman? Like, do you take in one shot before, or are you doing it multiple times throughout the the three disciplines, or or what? Yeah. So so really, our gold standard protocol. Um, the goal of it is to keep your blood ketones within this ergogenic range or optimal range that that we've seen in research or that we've we've been able to replicate in research. And that that range, and this may not mean much to, to a lot of your audience, but I, I think it's important to, if you're taking the product, to be testing your blood ketones to kind of really dial this in. But between probably two and three millimolar, maybe one and a half and three millimolar is kind of where you'd want to stay. And almost all people can accomplish that by taking one full bottle of the tactical product or the performance product, performance product being flavored. Um, so it's a little bit easier to take on its own versus tactical, which is just pure. Um, one full bottle of either of those around 20 minutes before you start. And then every two hours taking another full bottle with your carbohydrates. Okay. And, and washing it, out and water I, and electrolytes. Or... Yeah. Yeah. No, you can, you can, it, you can really Delta G fits quite nicely into whatever existing nutritional protocol you have. So it's not as though you need to adjust anything else. Um, you can just really add Delta G to that. And you, you, you would just try to time it up with when you're taking your carbohydrates. Um, and it's, it's important to remember that that protocol is unlimited resources. I want to make the most out of taking Delta G. How do I do it? Um, if you, if you were doing a, a nine hour Ironman and you only had two bottles of tactical, totally fine. You can still get benefits from it. It's not as though if you deviate from that protocol that you're going to have negative side effects. Um, what I would say is though, if you don't want to use 10 bottles or whatever it would be, um, I would opt to use the bottles in the beginning or middle parts of the race, just because it, it appears spare. So you'd want to do that most, most likely in the beginning or middle parts of the race. Okay. So let's say then like, not from a physical standpoint, but a fairly, a purely cognitive standpoint, you have like a mm-hmm. big presentation or whatever you're distressed out, like we kind of like spoke about earlier, mm-hmm. like what would be a good protocol for that? It's like have one in the morning through coffee and we're going to roll with that since you're not doing anything very physical. Yeah. So if, because you're not doing something physical, the deeper ketosis levels are going to last a lot longer. But having said that it's, you're going to feel it more, the more you take. So like the deeper of a ketosis you're in, the more you're going to feel it. Now it may not be necessary, let's say for a presentation, to get up to three millimolar, um, but it's probably good to get up to two at least, you know. And, and the good thing about the product is you can use it as infrequently as you need. So it's not a product that you need to take for a month in order for, to notice benefits, like a lot of these products out there. Um, day one, you'll you'll feel it and you'll you'll understand if you if you like it and, and if you want to continue using it. And that's why a lot of I'll get back to the more cognition in a second, but that's why a lot of athletes will, because of the price, they will treat it as kind of this race day hack or race day splurge where, where they'll experiment with it enough to understand how they want to use it on race day and then put the bottles aside for, for race day and then use some bottles sparingly for recovery during really hard training blocks. But, but as far as just daily 
cognition goes, um, a lot of people like to take it more consistently and, and take it with their coffee, like a, like just five grams or 10 grams, um, and then use it, use more for, for heavier workloads. Like for instance, I'll take, and albeit I get a very large discount because I, I work at the company, um, but I'll take five or 10 grams in the morning with my espresso. And then um, I love taking, we have a, we have a product called uh, Ketone Health or, or Delta H, it's the white bottle. Um, it's, it's got 10 grams already flavored in a bottle. It's definitely the best tasting of our products. I'll take that every afternoon um, because I haven't eaten for like four hours. I'm not gonna eat for a couple of hours. Um, I still have a lot of work to do um, and I don't wanna have caffeine or any kind of snack or, or, or glucose spike. So I'll take, I'll take ketones then. Um, and it really helps kind of just give me some, some really stable energy that I know is actually probably pretty healthy for me as well. Um, and I just, I just feel a lot better doing it that way. So I kind of space them out a little bit more, but having said that, um, if I've ever had to do a speaking event or, or any kind of podcasts or anything like that, I'll usually take more before, um, just so I feel a bit, a bit, a bit sharper. Cause you'll, like I said, you'll feel it more if you, if you take more. Yeah, no, that definitely makes a lot of sense. So thinking of like your levels of ketones in your blood. So mm-hmm. Mike, Mike McKnight, who just won Coconut 250, like a year, so a year ago, year and a half ago or so, he ran this 24 hour race and he did it on zero calories because he wanted to see how far he could run on zero calories. So all he took was his water and salt the entire time. Whoa. And it was pretty wild. It was cool to, to witness that. I think he did 112 miles over that time. I might be off. He's just like a looped course down in Phoenix in the winter. But um, he was checking his blood ketone levels. And for the most part, they were low the entire time. And our hypothesis hypothesis about that is that he was burning just ketone the entire time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like his levels didn't raise too high because that's all he's burning. There's like zero glucose in him at that point or very little. No, no, that makes sense. Um, no, I think you're right. And that's why if like, if you were taking a lot of Delta G during, let's say you're in the middle of an Ironman race and you're, and you were taking a lot of Delta G and you're measuring your blood ketones, you'd probably get lower levels than you would think because your body is using them so quickly. Um, so I think that's right. And also, um, it is important to remember another purpose of ketones. Um, and, and I, I just thought of this because, um, you mentioned that he wasn't using any, <clears throat> any glucose most likely um, because he, I would guess, has a lot of ketones there that this, this process was, wasn't going as, as aggressively as it might. Um, but a, a th- why ketones may be anti-catabolic is, as in it, it's, it helps to not break down muscle, is because if, if your body has no glucose and no ketones, you're Again, your body may not be as some people, most people, let's say, aren't very efficient at at producing ketones or mobilizing fat quickly enough to produce ketones. So a, a process your body has is called gluconeogenesis, which is the production of glucose to to most likely be, be sent almost all to the brain. Um, and one way it does that is by breaking down protein and muscle to produce glucose. So um, depending on how much ketones he had, I bet you there was some, some of that going on as well. That's why if, if you don't eat for a while, uh, for a long time, there's only so much buffer ketones can provide by, by giving your brain energy so that your body doesn't have to break down muscle. Um, but that's why you'll, you'll see people lose muscle mass quite quickly if they're uh, malnourished, let's say. Um, 
but yeah, just that's that's another <clears throat> thing to think about when when you're doing something like that is um, well, my body is probably going to be can be breaking down muscle and and, and protein to produce glucose. That's interesting. So, I don't know. Do you think that I just kind of wrap up here? I know it's like kind of getting to be that time, but like, let's just say, for example, he had done that 24 hours with zero calories, but took in mm -hmm. some sort of ketones. Do you think, like, mm -hmm. in theory, anyways, like his performance would have improved? Um, I think so. Um, with no calories, there, as I mentioned, there is this interplay between blood glucose and, and ketones. Um, whereas ketones do help stabilize blood glucose, but if he was producing a lot of his own ketones, that's why it, it actually gets pretty interesting, um, as far as protocols go with ketogenic athletes and using something like Delta G, because if you already have decently high levels of blood glucose or blood ketones, sorry, and you're taking something like Delta G where your ketone levels will get even higher, it could push down your blood glucose to a level that would be hypoglycemic. Whereas you'd probably bonk and you'd probably have a, a detriment. Um, so it could have helped him. But again, if he was really producing his own ketones, I, I would say it, it probably wouldn't have helped him. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah. Because like, I guess like from like not knowing or not being an expert on it by any means, it's, it's interesting to think like, oh, well, if I just did this, it probably would have helped because it's like, it's a supplement or whatever. But I, I guess it may not be like helpful, it might be detrimental. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And that's why we actually recommend, especially intra race, um, that people take it with with carbohydrates, just for, for that reason alone, but also it helps you use the, the carbohydrates uh, more effectively, but also you don't want to have your blood glucose drop too low. Yeah, it's going to definitely cause issues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Um, well, let's kind of wrap that up then here, unless there's something else you want to say about um, about ketones or Delta G. No, I, I think um, one quick thing, um, we, we, because it's such a, just through this conversation, I'm sure you can tell, it's, it, it's, it's a relatively complex product and, and technology and, and how to use it and um, its various applications. Uh, we actually offer a, a free chat on our website with me personally. Um, so if anybody ever has any more questions um, or they're, they're interested in one of the topics I discussed, you can, you can actually just go to the website and book a, book a time on my calendar um, and we can have a call. Um, I probably had, I think like 850 at this point um, of, and, and you, you wouldn't believe how many, how many different people um, from, from different backgrounds and different interests I've spoken with, but it's actually been really cool because not only can we help educate the market um, because there is a lot of, um, I don't like this phrase necessarily, but misinformation out there um about ketones how to take them where the what the research says etc um so I, I like helping to educate the market but also um it people don't really understand how to, how to how to use it and and if i can help them use it better then they'll be more apt to, to keep using it and to, and to have a good experience and and to hopefully it'll help them with with whatever goals they have so um i would encourage anybody who, who's listening to to certainly sign up for, for a call with me if they have any more questions. Awesome. Then where can everybody find you and uh, Delta G at? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, um, Brian McMahon126. Um, I'm, posting, I'm posting a lot about, about the, the most recent research on, on ketones and, and Delta G specifically. And then uh, DeltaGKetones.com is our, is our web address and you can, you can order whatever you need on the website.
Awesome, man. Well, thanks, Brian. I really appreciate that. It was fun to chat and learn a little bit and um, hopefully we can keep in touch. Yeah, no, no. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. And, uh, and yeah, I'd love to keep in touch.